is the Starting Why Podcast. Here we ask entrepreneurs, actors, investors, innovative, and artists on the why. Why they are doing what they are doing, what motivates and drives them, and why can't they stop. We will start in five, four, three, two, one. Hey guys, welcome back. You're listening to Starting Why this time again. Joe is bringing you another interview guest on the why of entrepreneurship and how you should think about entrepreneurship as an entrepreneur. We help you build your mental framework here. Today, I welcome Arnaud, who is a best-selling author originally from France, but living in Sweden. Bonjour. Bonjour. Thank you so much, Jern. Thank you. What an intro. Very welcome. And everybody who's listening to this knows I'm addicted to food. And two questions. Do you still miss the French wine? And how do you like the Clotboula? French people are going to hate me for saying this, but I do very much enjoy uh, new wines. So Argentinian or Australian or Chilean wines. I don't actually miss the French wine. And as for the Chotboula, you know, the Chotboula is literal translation is uh, meatball, right? Turns out I'm a vegetarian. So I don't eat meatballs. I do, however, eat versions of those that are vegetarian-based. Yeah, I've skipped the Schutbullas for a long time. Actually, in Germany, you only get them at IKEA, and we call them here Klötbulla, but totally fine. I'm sorry, I'm butchering every foreign language I come across. I'm really sorry, guys, here. And I didn't know you were a vegetarian, but admittedly, I'm a vegetarian too, at least one day a week, sometimes even two. But we're not here only to talk about food, but you are best-selling author of How Hard Can It Be? Startup Lessons from Trying and Failing to Take Down Facebook. And you've shared with me a little article you wrote, you admitted yourself quite some time ago. It's the seven traps on the road to success, to startup success, I'm sorry. And I was actually, I'm really having it here physically, guys really printed out old school on paper and basically that's a little bit with which i will be teasing you today and which will be the backbone for today's interview could our listeners also get this from you yeah absolutely so actually it's um as you mentioned this is something um basically on top of the book so the book is very we talk about the book another time but the book is narrative based It's my journey with a lot of content in it and um, the whole startup journey. And then I thought, why not adding something that is a, a little bit more, a short version of five, seven tips or that one could get in a condensed, really neatly packaged way. And I thought of writing something instead of giving actually tips, why not give traps? This extra content that you have in your head, you're in your hands, uh, sorry, you're in, is the traps that I feel most of entrepreneurs fall into because we're not given the answers typically. So they are a summary of not only my journey as an entrepreneur, journey that I continue to do today, since I'm still involved very much into startups, but also sort of my entire corporate experience. So I've been working for a while now, and it's accumulation of a lot of things that I hope will help entrepreneurs and even people in organizations to make sense of what they see and hopefully don't fall into those traps. So to answer your question, yes, people can get it. The setup that we have is that when people get the book, they can send a receipt of the book via the website. There is a form for that. 
and right away they get the PDF automatically to the, delivered to the mailbox. I hope people will love it. That is really, really good. We will link, of course, your website and your LinkedIn profile down here in the show notes as well. Before we get into like the specifics of this uh, seven traps, can you first tell us a little bit like a broad overview of what your journey was you kind of retell in your book and how it would sound for an entrepreneur? So the book is really typical of the kind of book you would get as an entrepreneur. I mean, as you know yourself, typically one can only get a book that tells you about either success or the great story of how someone made it. They might talk about some hiccups they've had along the way, but typically it's from a standpoint of success. It's looking backward and admitting that it's been perhaps hard and we struggled here and there, but overall we made it and now life is good. So that you either have that kind of book or otherwise the books that you can find for entrepreneurs are mostly ABC types of book, the one, two, three silver bullets to make it to your final destination, hopefully a successful one. And finally, you find very engaging, motivating, inspiring books, I would say, the kind of the Steve Jobs journey or the biography of Sir Richard Branson or all those very highly successful people, Elon Musk uh, amongst many. What was very motivating for me, the hard thing about hard things. Right. Yes, indeed. What did you think of it? I really liked it and it made me laugh quite often. Yeah, it is. It is indeed. Luckily, we have a quite a similar title. So sometimes people, interestingly, want to talk about that book you mentioned and they say, how hard can it be? Which I obviously enjoy very much. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I see. So basically, what I got from this article so far is that you've basically built a startup as you usually do it, what's currently, let's say, sexy in the startup world and you failed with that approach. Yeah, exactly. So that was already, we launched in 2012. We wrapped up uh, six and a half years later. And as I was saying, we wrapped up as a, I mean, we did a small exit. We sold the platform, but eventually, I mean, from my own perspective and the perspective of the founding team, it was a failure. It was a failure in that sense that we didn't reach the, you know, the expectations that we had. We didn't meet those expectations. So I call it a failure and we can, we will talk about that, I'm sure. But to, to some extent, there was a lot of success in it. But what I want to show is that it's hard and you know the numbers, you know, nine out of 10 startup fail. And yet that story of failure, quote unquote, is not so much told. And it leaves us with a, a sour taste in our mouth, this idea that, you know, either we are unworthy of doing the journey because we fail and we take it on us that maybe there's something wrong with us. Maybe we're incapable of doing this. Maybe others know better than we do. And that I think is a shame because there are so many factors that may lead you to success or not. And in our own um, story, our own journey, You know, on paper, everything went okay. We did have plenty of successes. We did have a nice valuation. We raised money several times. But then in the end, we couldn't really scale. And that story, which is the story of most people out there, because again, 90% of us will fail, is not told. And I think for everyone's uh, own, uh, you know, life and building a, you know, continue to live post that failure, it's important to talk about this. It's important to recognize that, this shit is hard and it's okay to fail in a way. So yeah, that's the whole book uh, and the whole journey. So to your question, 
we did at that point something that was we thought sexy. I mean, at that point, 2012, everybody was talking about social networks. So that's what we built. We built a social network, initially B2C social network. So we went against Facebook. And eventually, because we couldn't make it, because we're B2B people, we're management consultants, we had to turn the whole business upside down and ended up with a internal social network. So one towards organization, something that we actually knew about. So yeah, it was sexy then, maybe not so much now. I mean, today you hear a lot of many interesting fields. We were talking offline prior about health and wellness and longevity and biohacking and those very interesting health topics that are really hot at the moment. There is also the whole space and climate field industry. Today I'm working with drones, drone data. So we are working to some extent into um, you know the space industry, monitoring climate change and augmenting uh, satellite data with drone data. So there are quite a few hot topics currently, and I think social network somewhat has gone stick in the backseat. Uh, what I found interesting is you're talking about Yammer in this context, like within the company, a social network. I've used it in the past as an employee. And I thought, oh, it's already dead for quite some time. And apparently Microsoft still runs it. Yeah, I don't know uh, what's the status today, but certainly Yammer was really hot in uh, the early, yeah, 25, 2010, uh, I would assume, was definitely one of the main players when we played around with in ESN, Enterprise Social Networks. And as I explained in this little booklet that you have, you don't necessarily have to have the most brilliant product. I know it may hurt. But this Yammer, having been acquired by Microsoft, being run by Microsoft, we managed to get at par pretty much with a much smaller team. We had, you know, very similar features, a stability of the product. We could do pretty much the same. We had analytics. We had a lot of different similar features. And we could do pretty much the same for customers, but we're not Microsoft. So that's something entrepreneurs will often find is that the best product doesn't necessarily win. The best strategy does. And so when you are a small player uh, and you compete with a big monster like Microsoft or, or IBM or whichever industry you're in and you're competing with the leading players, it turns out that their strategy is often better than yours because, well, you have nothing, you've just started. So in our case, you know, Microsoft was pretty much embedding Yammer into the Microsoft suite. And as a result, Yammer was baked into whatever a company would buy. And so it's not that we could come in and say, well, you should add some more money and use our product, which is on par with that of Yammer, because, well, they already had something which they didn't have to pay for. And whether they used it or not didn't make really any difference for the corporation buying the product. And on top of that, it was Microsoft. And as you know, no one ever got fired by buying Microsoft, whereas people may get fired when they buy from small startups. So it's very difficult to penetrate a new market that is already mature with big players having their fingers in old pies, so to say. So that's something I debate in that extra ebook that you have. What I found pretty fascinating is that you talk a lot about across all the topics, you always talk about orienting yourself on what other startups did let's say, on Vogue, what was in fashion at this time, and you also did it, not because it worked or it would have particularly worked well for you, but rather because other people did it. How much do you think an entrepreneur 
should stand up to this pressure? How much do you think they can and should reflect this pressure and say, oh, guys, that would not work for us? Because right now, all the hype has been chatbots and explainer videos and so on and so forth. And for example, I still get at least one request a month for making explainer videos for my product. And then just to try out if this person writing me a message actually looked at my website, I write back, oh, I'm an audio only podcast. Guys, what does an explainer video help me? And I haven't ever heard anything back that completely kills the conversation <laughs> because they don't look at you. They just mail out everywhere. Guys, this is the hot new stuff you need to do, but it does not always make sense. Correct. That's a brilliant question. There are many level answers I could give you. I mean, I think the first one, when it comes to you and deploying your own startup, I mean, you've got a, a podcast called Starting Why. I think you really need to start with your why. I'm not the first one saying this. Obviously, Simon Sinek talks about starting with why. Another, you know, like Martin Luther King didn't launch his speech with, this is how we're going to do it. He had a vision. He had a why. He knew why things ought to be done. And then figuring out how was another thing. So I think you need to start with what you believe. So now I'm talking about your core, right? What you go with, to market with. You need to be really, really passionate about that topic. You need to be willing to take this for at least a decade. Because this idea of you flipping your business in a couple of years you know, by just having a, a me too idea, like the same as the other one with a tiny tweak, you won't get anywhere, most likely. So it starts with your core. Passion is something that I often talk a lot about. It really starts with what is it you have in you and why should you be the one taking this to market? How does that resonate with you? And what value do you bring that is unique to you as a person? Because it's going to be rough. Title of my book, How Hard Can It Be? Well, very hard. You're going to take those hits for many years to come. So unless it's really something that you can accept failing at and accept the journey being rough, you're not going to survive it, which is why it starts with passion. So that's the first element. The second one you were mentioning about like, everyone you know, sending you emails, I described that exactly this in the uh, ebook that you have. Startup typically want to automize everything and it becomes a faceless sort of automated process. As you said, they just blast email everywhere, not knowing who's the recipient. And oftentimes, if not always, it has nothing to do with you. So obviously they haven't done the research. At best, they bought an, you know, a list and now they're hoping that, you know, if I just hit 0.1% of the recipient, then I'll be fine. They look at it as a funnel, you know, like the more I put on top, we do the math and eventually I get a few at the bottom of the funnel. But this is the wrong approach. It's the wrong approach because it kills your brand. Even if you don't have it, it will kill it down the road as you start building one. So it's totally off. And then you don't build trust. I mean, one thing that I've learned in business is that you will build your brand over time and that happens through trust. And it doesn't take much really to understand that you don't have a video podcast, just two minutes research and you should figure this out. So someone who would have done that kind of research and would have sent you a you know, specific email with a specific service, maybe they send less per day, but the hit rate is much higher. So that's what one should do. There's a saying in sales like crap in, crap out. So the more you put in your funnel that is nonsense, yeah, 
the, the less the likelihood that you get something that makes sense at the end. So, you know, let's do some research. And you don't need so many, you know, that's another thing. For whatever business you are in, you don't have to have a thousand customers. You don't have to have plenty of advocates, ambassadors. You just need a couple. You start slow. You get your ambassador, someone who actually can vouch for you and put their name on your website because they're happy with your service, because you've delivered value, because you've brought something that they couldn't get anywhere else. And as you build those ambassadors, they will refer you, they will talk nicely about you, you can befriend them and you know have testimonials and so forth. And then you build that trust and that trust will be paid back. So it takes longer. But it works much better because business is, uh, I mean, that's the foundation of business is trust. It's not a rip-off, one-off, in and out. That's a totally wrong approach to business, in my view. I couldn't agree more with you. And what's very interesting, I just had a recording actually yesterday where we talked with a former SWAT hostage negotiator about trust that they also need trust and we've went from there into sales and also there you need trust and that's really what you've been talking about that's why i was making this big exclamation mark next to your writings in my notes because with an automated approach as you said by the way i do believe it's not only in sales it's also done in consulting saying shit in shit out and basically i do believe that is true And I also realized myself, if I have uh, five conversations with potential clients for consulting or scouting in a day, I won't close anyone. If I have three conversations within a week, I'll most likely start to work with at least one of them. You have to focus. You have to put the work in. And usually there is no shortcut, even though chatbot can talk to like 100 additional people a day. But then you also need to have somebody who really then closes the deal, who really builds the trust and says, yes, I'm a human. Yes, I understand you. Yes, we could do that for you. Absolutely. No, you're totally right. I mean, I, and also to piggyback on what you just said, the shortcut, this is one of the traps, right? We all believe that there is out there somewhere a silver bullet, like I can automate this or I can accelerate that. But this is just a, an illusion. There is no silver bullet. There is no magic. You have to do the work. You have to do the reps. It's like going to the gym. You won't get, yes, you can take supplements and do whatever on the side that is illegal. Same, you can transpose that in business, but it's very short term. You will deflate as fast as you, as you grew and then you um, will probably be sick down the road. It's better to build a foundation, build a proper business, not look for the magic sauce the trick that will fix it because it doesn't exist. And there are many people who would make you want to believe that such a thing exists naturally because that's what they're trying to sell you. You know, it's interesting, all those masterclass and all those things come to us and download the uh, ebook and come to our masterclass that costs so much. And then you know how to uh, rock your business in two hours. If it only would take two hours, I guess we would have a lot more successes in the world and the rate of success to failure ratio in startups would not be 90% failure. So again, the silver bullet doesn't exist. I'm sorry for your listeners. It's really all about the hard work, putting in the sweat, which is why, again, it starts with passion and commitment and desire to change your world. It doesn't need to be 
changing the world like Facebook did or like some massive companies do like Tesla but you can change the world in your neighborhood by having a small shop that you're happy to have and delivers great value for your community so everyone has to have his own level of ambition straight and all they can do to do something that's help them and serve others you know in the end it starts with serving others what can you do that others don't that will add value to others not to you personally but to others and if you manage to do that you will be compensated for your hard work and um, actually would i also found interesting that comes to the next exclamation mark i did at your notes when you say ultimately it's your job as an entrepreneur to verify that what you're witnessing is the real thing There we talked about shortcuts, but you also talk here about traction because everybody talks about traction, but I do believe it's very, very, very hard to really, really quantify what is traction. And you can debate for days if this company has or has no traction. Oh, absolutely. Steve Jobs says uh, it's easy to connect the dots looking backwards. For sure. When you are in the midst of it and you see that you are acquiring clients and, you know, where is that acquisition coming from? Is it fast enough? It's very hard to say in the moment. You may end up believing that you are having traction and we've have had that traction or seemingly traction, illusion of traction, I call it, many times. So we were acquiring clients. We moved from B2C to B2B. So in the first instance, as we were a B2C company and we work with celebrities, I mentioned that we had celeb traction. We did because we were signing up celebrities to help us support the uh, social network that we had built. But the numbers of users that we would get as a result of the celebrities that we would bring onto the platform to help us get those uh, new users like you and I would not correlate. So in fact, it didn't matter really how many celebs we would bring in, the correlation was off. So then you can exhaust yourself in bringing celebs and working with them, and it's quite tricky to do so. But if what you're looking for initially, in our case, was number of users, just like you would on Facebook, if that is not growing, then you're having the wrong traction. Then the celebs is not something you should spend your time on. So that was one learning when we were doing B2C. Then sort of similar thing happened when we were working towards B2B. We had client traction. So we were acquiring clients. We were delivering the service slash product that we were offering. But perhaps over a year, it looked okay because we could deliver what we would sell. So we had enough time to acquire a new client, customize the product, deliver the product, clients would be happy. The problem started to happen when we, we were looking for more clients that we could chew on. That is a trick because if you acquire a client that you can't serve because you have a small team and you realize that the only way to serve those clients, those extra clients that you may be getting is to um, staff up, to get more personal inside your organization, more employees, then perhaps it becomes unsustainable. And so if traction that you generate as a result of sales activities, for instance, is not enough to compensate for the cost that you have of delivering the service, then again, you have a traction problem. And that what we eventually concluded, that we were not the could get top line, we could make money, but it would be um, unsustainable in the long run because it would cost so much to acquire a client and to deliver the service to the client that in the end it would not be worth it. So 
traction is really key. And when is it that you have it? And when is it that you don't? And how is it generated? Is it because you actually have something that is awesome and a great product that people love and are happy to talk about? Or is it because you are running campaigns and playing with the sales funnel that we started with, where you, you buy your way into clients? But again, if you can't keep those clients for more than the length of one sales cycle, they are no good for you or you are no good to them because acquiring one client is expensive. If you can't keep him on board and you have to look for the next one, you don't have a business. There's nothing. It's a one-off and that's not sustainable. Yeah, the customer lifetime value. It's always interesting. The more we talk about it, it comes down to what you also said, 95% of our decisions are made by our unconscious mind. Getting back to the trust, it's also an unconscious decision. Can I trust this person or can I trust this or can I not trust this person? And what I also found very, very interesting is the real reasons for failure. You write, some of the most cited reasons for startup failure include not understanding one's customer, not being able to pivot fast enough, not focusing on revenues, and not having raised enough money. In my experience, these are not the actual reasons, but only the outcomes of deeper reasons. Can you tell us a little bit about the background for this statement? Because I found it very impressive. Most of the time you hear about, yeah, customers funding, yada, 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 but it's just a headline. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, most of the time you put the reason onto someone else, right? It's never your fault, typically. It's the market, it's something that you can't control, it's the investor that didn't trust you enough, didn't give you enough money, you didn't understand the customer, you couldn't get that traction that we we're talking about. I mean, you can find a zillion reasons why you are failing, but it's never your fault. Well, as it turns out, it's always your fault. Basically, if you haven't managed to do what you wanted to do, it's because Yeah, you may not have pivoted enough, but that's all on you. If you had done more research, if you have figured out earlier that you were not getting that traction, you would have changed track and therefore you might have found it. So it's always about you. At the end of the day, you know, when you have cost, you know, you may say, well, we have a, our organization, we have too many people and cost us so much and we can't deliver, et cetera, et cetera. Again, you put the blame onto someone else. And I know it's painful and it's hard. It's very hard to do to let go people, for example, when you realize that you're burning too much money compared to what you're bringing in. It's not an easy decision, but ultimately, it's your decision as a leader. Either you go bankrupt because you're costing too much, your burn rate is too high, or you make a decision that, okay, we tried all we could. We're not getting the, the speed that we need. We're costing too much. You have to let go people. That's the way it goes. You can look at anything in your company. The reason it's not working, it's because of you, your decisions, and the way you look at the world. If you look at it this way, and since startup, every business really, but specifically startup, because we don't have a ton of cash in reserve, so you don't have the time to play with what you have and look the market being created, and then you jump on board like big corps do. I mean, they very seldom displace themselves because they are too comfortable with current state of affair and what they have. So they juice the system until 
the system can no longer be juiced and then then they are in a bit of a of a problem so in a startup we don't have that situation because we don't have cash so what you have is time and what you are after is um, you know leveraging the small amount of money that you have and make sure that you hit your market you find this product market fit as soon as you can as early as you can so what you have to play with is time and try as many things as you can, you know, throw stuff into the market and see what sticks basically until you find something that is sustainable. So again, it's all on you to make the right decisions and make the right moves to make it work. So I don't think the reason for failure is external. The reason for failure is internal. It's you and what's in your head. Not the most comforting uh, closing <laughs> words. But since we're talking for more than 35 minutes already, I do believe I would call it a day here. But we can tell the people that you will be back as guests on my other podcast where we talk a little bit longer about the whole book. Fantastic. Yeah, we could have left it on a more positive note and maybe we should find one to like a more spiritual or, or perhaps positive way to end it. I think you know, end of the day, it's, it's okay. It's, it's actually comforting in a way that it's all on you because then you can't blame any circumstances. Those who make it, make it because of the hard work, typically, unless you come from a family, but typically because of the hard work that they pour in. I guess the next all of what we discuss, there's no secret sauce, there's no magic. It's not easy. It's actually very hard. But the good news is if you do the hard work, if you understand that you can actually bend the universe and you do all you can to make it work, it will work. And if it doesn't, it's still all fine because at the end, you will have learned so much. You will have equipped yourself so much that you'll be able to bring that knowledge and those skills that you've acquired into your next venture, into your next iteration as an entrepreneur. So ultimately, it's all good that it is all on you. Yes, totally. And you owe uh, success is only to get up one time more often than you fall, right? Something like this. Sorry, guys. That's exactly what it is. I'm, you know, I'm Michael, a little bit off with my grammar here. I'm sorry. No, no, it's brilliant. It's uh, Michael Jordan, you know, or Edison, Thomas Edison. You know, he didn't, he failed a thousand times, but the one time was enough, similar to Michael Jordan. I mean, you, you can't strike three points every time you do fairly takes training it takes hard work so as you say you just have to stand up one more time that you fall down great i know was a pleasure having you here everybody who'd like to learn more we will link down here in the show notes your linkedin profile your book your website and of course your instagram account absolutely super thank you for having me here it was nice i look forward to the next one though Thank you. Me too. Bye-bye. Take care.